The, the two verses in the first one that we'll um, look at, though, in a minute or two, uh, is Proverbs 15, verse 11. So if you wanted to turn there in preparation, then feel free to do so. But uh, chapter 31 of the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith um, is entitled, <coughs> excuse me, is entitled of the state of man after death and of the resurrection of the dead. And I want to read uh, three paragraphs of it to you. Um, it's neither long nor short. Paragraph one says, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness are received into paradise where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. And paragraphs two and three are somewhat shorter. Paragraph two says, At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. The third paragraph goes on, The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor the bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. We can see uh, even from that summary of various parts of scripture, uh, even from the get-go that uh, death for the Christian uh, is, is something which is in fact entirely hopeful uh, and hence we can hearken to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, that we, uh, we do not weep as others weep. We do not mourn as others mourn at the thought of death. Uh, we look forward to this wonderful resurrection of, of the just to eternal life with God, uh, of the unjust to their right damnation, to their right punishment. I don't know if you've ever done it, uh, but if you, if you Google what happens after you die, um, there are as one would expect, a variety of results from a variety of different perspectives. Uh, the first three, just to not name, of course, all million and six of them, uh, but the first three, uh, the first one is from the clevelandclinic.org, uh, and it just simply describes the biological and physical processes which take place after a physical body dies. The vital organs stop working. Uh, interestingly, as a side point, uh, it notes that uh, the brain may keep functioning for a couple of minutes after death, um, adding that this does not constitute consciousness or awareness. Uh, the, the second cab off the rank uh, are your friends and mine, uh, the, the Mormons, surprisingly to me. Uh, the Mormons will tell you uh, that after we die, our spirit goes to the spirit world, subsequently to be resurrected into a perfect body, which was interesting to me, and only after that resurrection to be judged upon a mixture of Heavenly Father, as they refer to him often as, uh, by a mixture of Heavenly Father's grace and also our works. And as another side point, uh, I know just one or two verses sparingly from the Book of Mormon, but when I, 
uh, summarized that, I remembered a verse from 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, uh, which says this, For we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Sounds good so far. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved. Still sounds good so far. It is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. You have probably no clearer expression of the works-based nature of Mormonism than verses such as that. Interestingly, they cross-reference uh, James 2 at that point, uh, which talks about the nature of saving faith, that it produces works, uh, which is errant at best. And the third link is similar to the first, coming back to our Google search. Uh, it simply describes the physical process of dying. Uh, disappointingly to me, uh, it's not until you get to the 18th link that you come across a, a Christian answer. Uh, this being, though, of fairly good quality from a website called uh, gotquestions.org, which uh, is answered by a variety of folks, but I find in general to be uh, a good resource, though, of course, always needing discernment. So as I mentioned, we'll just look at, uh, at two texts tonight. Um, there'll be uh, Proverbs 15.11, which I've mentioned just now, uh, and subsequently Proverbs 14.32, and we'll read them in due course. So 15.11 says this, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before Yahweh, how much more the hearts of the children of man. This verse, uh, in many ways, though, of course, uh, describing death or the, the realm of the dead, uh, is a, a verse which describes uh, God's omniscience, his all-knowingness. Uh, and it implies that we are to, to fear him and watch our way, watch how we walk. Uh, but it does so uh, by way of, of reference to death or to the realm of the dead, Sheol and Abaddon. Uh, Sheol, without giving a um, a conclusive summary of every place you find it in the scriptures. Uh, Sheol is a, a place of the dead whereby they are, are punished and it is not uncommonly translated as hell. Uh, Abaddon, again, not uncommonly used in conjunction with Sheol, such as we have it here, uh, is largely synonymous. It refers to a place of judgment and destruction. And Solomon here uh, writes, um, not anthropomorphically as you would often have it, but writes somewhat anthropomorphically. Uh, he writes uh, from a, a sort of describing God in human terms, as it were. Uh, Sheol and Abaddon, we could summarize as the realm of the dead, whereby punishment occurs, are experientially to humans unknown. We know what we know from Scripture, but experientially we have no knowledge of such places. You cannot see, touch, smell, taste, or hear what is going on in Sheol and Abaddon. Uh, on the other hand, though of course God only knows the heart uh, in its entirety, the heart is located in the outward and physical universe, uh, that which is uh, imminently familiar to man. We can, uh, as I say, see, touch, smell, taste, hear that which is in the physical universe. And so hence the point of the verse is that God knows even the unseen realm of the dead. They are intimately familiar to him. 
How much more, therefore, uh, the, the physical universe uh, with our heart and actions in it? We are to fear God and to seek to live in his ways accordingly. If he can know that which is uh, unknowable, as it were, then how much more does he know that which is knowable, that which is tangible in the here and now? If he knows what is in the here and now, therefore uh, we ought to live as if he does. We ought to live accordingly as if he knows and watches everything that is done. So for our purposes, as we contemplate death today, as I say, God is intimately aware of the whereabouts and the goings-on of every single person who has ever died. From Adam, right through to all of the people who have died, even as I formulate this sentence. He knows the whereabouts and the goings-on of all those in hell. Equally, he knows the, the whereabouts and the goings-on of all those in heaven. Uh, he has known all these things from eternity past. None of this is learned or new knowledge for God. Uh, by way of analogy, we are, we are impressed when we find people who know a lot about a particular subject. Uh, perhaps we, uh, we know somebody who knows a lot about biology or the intricacies of the, the human body. Uh, this is impressive to us. Or we might be impressed by someone who knows uh, a whole lot about history, uh, None other than our own Elijah, I am often very impressed by how much history a man can know. We're impressed when someone knows a lot about theology, someone who knows every jot and tittle of the original languages and can quote chapter and verse uh, at the drop of a hat, as easy as can be. If we are impressed by such people as these and, and a dozen other examples that you could give, how much more not just impressed, but in awe and in fear, ought we to be with our God, who, as I say, has intimate knowledge over such unknowable things as the realm of the dead, the course of history, and the course of the future. As we consider uh, such a vastness of our God, our own fin finiteness rather, uh, ought to readily present itself as we make such considerations, we are uh, so incredibly vulnerable and at the mercy of our God, which of course, once again, ought to make us just so thankful at how good and how loving and how uh, we are for reasons known only to God, the, the apple of his eye, his zealousness is over us. Even as I, I referenced in the, uh, the Psalm that we started off with, uh, our King is on the throne. And we are his subjects, and he loves his subjects. Thankfully, his character is good, and his heart is toward us, which potentially leads us to the second verse. Uh, potentially, it's on the same page, chapter 14, verse 32 of Proverbs. It says, The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. You might like to turn to Philippians chapter 1.
As Christians, we know that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. But death for those in Christ, as numerous scriptures attest to, and as the London Baptist Confession of Faith summarizes, is not a cause of despair. It is not a cause of nothingness, nor is it a cause uh, of anything bad, as it were. Philippians 1, uh, verses 21 to 24, say this. Paul writes to the Philippians and says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I recently was talking with a co-worker. She had been at a funeral during the earlier parts of the day and subsequently came back to work in the latter parts of the day. And she was puzzled, a little shocked, you might say, at how the, I'm guessing the funeral was in a church, um, the, the person who had given the message had talked about uh, the fact that this person uh, was, was in a, a better place. Let's, for argument's sake, assume they were a Christian. Uh, they were in a better place, and really those of us who were, were left on earth were in the worse position. Uh, you know, this person is with their Lord. Uh, they are in the better place. We who are left behind are really the ones who are, are in the lesser position. And my, my co-worker... Uh, though she would profess uh, some faith in Christianity, uh, couldn't really wrap her head around this concept. Uh, she thought, you know, but, but this, this gentleman had a, you know, a wife and had some children. And surely he wants to be around them and, and to be with them rather than uh, dead and, and with his God. And she asked me, uh, you know, Tobias, what, do you, what, what does your church sort of believe about death? Is it, is it a good thing, bad thing, indifferent? You know, I can't remember her exact words, but something along the lines of that. Uh, and I was able to say to her, well, uh, of course, we, we think that death is unnatural. Death was not, was not a thing in God's original part of creation. It was only after we sinned uh, that death came into being. Um, and so death uh, at a bare bones level has an unnaturalness to it. It's weird. And hence we, we mourn, part of the reason we mourn. And then, of course, it is the result of sin. But in line with what Paul rather teaches here, I was able to say, well, we believe, though, that to be in the presence of God, this, this is the ultimate goal. Not that we neglect anybody whilst we are here on earth. Whilst we are here on earth, as Paul says, this means fruitful labor for us. We ought to pursue those whom God has put under our care, whom he has put in our circle of love and authority, uh, we ought to, to pursue them and serve them, serve our God well. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be in the presence of God is far better for the Christian. And so Solomon, uh, and I agree with him, testifies in this passage coming back to Proverbs uh, that the righteous finds refuge in his death. By way of another quick anecdote, I was witnessing to a, a person at the, the psychic fair, not the one recently, but a, a few years ago, uh, and we got on the subject of death somehow, and I mentioned to him, uh, though in no sinister way, that in line with what I've just said, 
Uh, I would really rather be dead uh, than to be alive here. Though I love my life here on earth, uh, if I were dead, I would be in the presence uh, of God and that would be far better. Uh, it was something which he, he couldn't really wrap his head around. Uh, and certainly he said, I've never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> but death for the Christian, because of Christ, because of our, our gracious, loving and caring God, is the passageway to fullness of life with him. And so far from being anything to mourn about, it is a cause of much rejoicing, though for a time those left earthside mourn the death of the person because of the unnaturalness to it and because we miss uh, this person. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope because we believe in the resurrection of the just, but also because we know that the damned are rightly so and that God is good and he is right in doing so. The righteous finds refuge in his death. And so to once again, as I did a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, to once again quote the baddie from Pirates of the Caribbean, Davy Jones, uh, do you fear death? No. Why, you may ask? Because as a, a Christian, all my sin has been paid for and justly dealt with by Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, sorry, his burial and resurrection. And because for me, to die is to be with my Lord, whom I and whom you love, and to be in his deepest and most intimate of presence for all eternity. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. So to conclude, the fact the realm of the dead uh, is a place that our God is fully cognizant of uh, ought to increase our awe, our fear, and our worship of him. He is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, and praise be to him for his mercy. He is the one who loses not one of those whom the Father has given him, but rather raises it up on the last day. God is fully cognizant of the dead, and we are entirely vulnerable to the same. The fact he has dominion over death ought to be a great comfort to us, not to mention the fact that he has such a love of his children. What's more, for the Christian, death is the mere entranceway to fullness of life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is far better, as Paul says. Death for the Christian is a refuge. Let such an absurd perspective from the world's eyes, let such an absurd perspective on death define the way you contemplate and feel about it.